Amen. I look forward to the day when we will all praise His name. And the book of Revelation foresees it as a time when languages will still be there. The praise will be done in different tongues. I think the difference may be that we'll understand uh, the language that's expressed. And uh, we won't be just an audience. We'll be participating in that praise to the name. Uh, so I think that anytime I have a chance to uh, hear praise of Jesus in a different language, my heart just rejoices. It's a foretaste of things to come. And uh, something I certainly want you to uh, listen and, and be a part of as well. Uh, I want to uh, ask you to turn your Bibles to the book of Hebrews, chapter 13. We are at the last chapter. As opposed to rushing through this, I find myself slowing down as I get to this chapter. Uh, I shared how last week, um, it's kind of like, as we get to Hebrews, it's, it's like running over an anthill that you didn't know was there. Uh, how we did that as a family and, and saw that there's bites all over us because of this unseen anthill. And we had no idea uh, the various ants that could come from this one spot of grass. That when we read Hebrews, we hear faith, faith, faith. Trust in God. This is who Jesus is. Jesus alone, not the Old Testament system. Uh, and then we come to Hebrews 13, and we are well adjusted to the idea that we are to live by faith, uh, believing in what's not yet, uh, compelled by the unseen in Jesus Christ, uh, or in God, uh, and that we uh, have our hopes set on that. And now we see in Hebrews 11:6 we seek Christ. Okay, that is the fellowship of believers. The fellowship of believers are those who seek Christ together. Acknowledging that the fact that though uh, we all profess to do that as a church body, not all do. And so consequently, uh, in a system in America or any, any country, you'll have uh, those who are believers in Christ and made up with a body of folks who not all are believers in Christ. Not all are seeking God. And the idea and the what I'm imploring you is that if you say you have faith, then seek God. Seek Him with all your heart. Make this your joy. Make this your hope that everything is resting upon. And Hebrews 11, 6 says, uh, because this pleases God. When we have faith, believing that He is and that He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him, and then chapter 13 now is telling us what does this look like? If we say we have faith and, and, we, and we have love, then what does this look like? And it seems at first kind of a disjointed passages all together, various commands and exhortations, but they all spring out of the same idea, faith-born love. And it's kind of like those ants that get all over us and bite us in different places. Uh, well, in Hebrews 13, we're seeing some of these different places. And uh, we saw that last week, uh, Hebrews 13, the first part, tells us that uh, if we have a faith-born love, then it will have unconditional kindness. That this is part of who we are as a believers in Christ. If a kindness that's not based on conditions, not based on whether I know you or not, uh, that we, the, we extend this. In verse 4, and we see that a faith-born love also applies to our uh, mate, our, our marriage. Uh, you know, a lot of times we think, love your neighbor as yourself, and uh, do unto others as you would have do unto you. Uh, treat those who persecute you with kindness. Pray for those. And we apply that to everybody except 
the person we're married to, <laughs> our children. So when your children curse you, it's okay. Uh, you, you pray for them. Uh, when your mate is unkind to you, it's okay. You love them uh, as Christ has called us to love them. And so uh, faith-born love holds marriage as precious, okay? And we're talking especially in regards to our purity, our sexual purity, and and how we treat our mate, how we treat other people, whether we're married or not, that there is an honor that we do there, verse 4, because we are seeking God. We're not just seeking earthly pleasures. Uh, And so we see in verse 5 and verse 6, faith-born love, this is the other area, uh, that hits us is that uh, faith-born love cannot be reconciled with love of money. Okay, It cannot be reconciled with the love of money. And that there is an attitude of being content with Christ because he is always with us. You notice you see in verse 5, what is the reason for our contentment? That Jesus says he will never leave us nor forsake us. He is our helper. We don't have to worry about what man will do to us. And the contentment is, is being satisfied with what you have, not always seeking what you don't have. And so this idea of contentment can make a uh, poor man rich or it can make a rich man poor. It matters very little with what's in your hands, but your attitude toward what's in your hands that makes all the difference. And so now we come to uh, verse 7. And uh, as I share with you, uh, my, my ambition this morning was verse 17. And I'm going to fail. Um, I'm going to tell you right now, um, I'm going to fail uh, getting to verse 17, which is okay because that's uh, a sermon all unto itself. Uh, so let's, uh, let's go and, and come to verse 7, looking again, what does faith-born love look like? Okay, uh, Letting brotherly kindness continue, how does it continue? Uh, and so let's read this together in, in honor of what we're reading. Let's stand as we read Hebrews chapter 13, verse 7. I'll go ahead and read verse all the way through verse 17. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods which have not benefited those devoted to them. We have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. The bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy place by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Through him, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. You may be seated. The first thought here as we read verse 7 is that faith-born love looks to past faith leaders for inspiration. This journey that we're on, to be looking for an unseen city, 
an invisible city yet to come, to be living for the kingdom of God is so different from what everybody else is doing here in America. It is one, because it is so separate, we need encouragement continually to be looking for the kingdom of God as opposed to setting our heart to the things here and now. And so in these, uh, this journey that we're on, we need all the help. And one of the helps he tells us to do here is look to past faith leaders. Uh, notice how the, it says here, those who spoke to you the word of God. The past tense is in question here, or is in, in emphasis, that these are not people here today. But remember those who have already died, perhaps died for their faith, who have been among you. How they proclaimed to you the word of God, spoke to you the word of God. Now notice the next part of verse 7, consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate, imitate their faith. What I want to bring out here is not just what they said that matters. I've shared with you before, Jesus brings emphasis not in how we begin our faith. The emphasis in the Bible is how we end our life. How do we persevere in faith, believing that Jesus is our Savior, our Messiah, our King to come, and the King now? So, he says, not just what they said, but how they lived. But notice, not just how they lived but imitate their faith. I've shared with you that the book of Hebrews brings out continually that faith and obedience are one and the same. Faith and obedience is one and the same. And so consequently, unbelief and disobedience are one and the same. Where you see an obedient soul, you see a soul that believes God. Where you see a disobedient soul, you see someone who does not believe God. You see this in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 18 and 19, how these two concepts, disbelief or unbelief and disobedience, were interchangeable with one another. Hebrews 3, verse 18 and 19. John chapter 3, verse 36, Jesus says the same thing, that if you believe, you will obey. And if you disobey, it's because you do not believe. And so what you have here is these leaders that you look back on who are not just stating something, but are living something. And by living a life that is focused on the kingdom to come, you see what they believe. Okay? So, I know some of us don't like to read. But I would just put upon you that Hebrews 13 verse 7 you could take a pretty good step and say he's asking you to read something. All right? He's, he's asking you to remember these who have gone before you. There's a couple ways of doing it. These are perhaps people you've known in your life. I think about my grandmother, my grandparents, who, followed, who led me in faith. Uh, not just by what they professed, by, but what they lived for, what they hoped in, what their, uh, their financial life was revolved around. And that was the kingdom of come i will never forget ever forget one of the the last blessing that my grandmother gave me over here at wellington as she knew she was dying she just shared to me uh my wife was with me jared preach the word don't ever stop preaching the word realizing what she was doing at the time that this was it. I permanently, permanently put it into my brain. Never stop preaching the word. And it means so much more to hear it from a grandmother who read the Bible daily with her and her husband. 
who read the Bible to her children, who read the Bible to her grandchildren. She was one who proclaimed the word, lived the word. Not all of us have grandmothers and grandparents like that, our fathers and mothers. What do you do? Whether you had them or not, there are people that you can imitate your life after and imitate their faith. You get the books out and read about heroes of the faith who have gone before us. You read the books. You listen to the stories. Uh, you, get them, you get them online. There's so many ways that you can do this. I would encourage you. If you ever read a biography or autobiography, if there's ever one you read, one in your life, I would tell you to read the autobiography of George Mueller. Get that book. It's not long. Uh, it's fairly easy to read. Read the autobiography of George Mueller. I, when you read these men of faith who've gone before us, it spurs us on, it inspires us, encourages us. They have lived this life too, and they did so in faith. Uh, I, I read about and watched a movie uh, just this past week, The End of the Spear, about Jim Elliott and Nate Saint, some of these who were in Ecuador who, who died in bringing the gospel to the Wadani tribe. Uh, you read about these people. I remember in college reading the life of Jim Elliott, reading his, his journal uh, and learning about him. Uh, reading about Adrian Rogers. Many of you already know him already. Uh, there is a biography about him. Read about the Stephen Olfords. Read about these who have gone before us, the, the Charles Spurgeons, uh, the, the various people of faith, uh, and let them inspire you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Why? Verse 8. Well, the same one they proclaimed is still alive today. The same one that inspired them, the same one that uh, encouraged them, that strengthened them, the same one that they lived and died for is still alive today. Verse 8, faith born love looks to Jesus alone for strength. Okay, It's one thing to look to someone else for inspiration, but it's quite another look to someone for strength. We look to Jesus alone for strength. Why? Well, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday. The same yesterday where Jesus died for us on the cross and purchased uh, the pardon price for our sin. That's what he did yesterday. Today, even now, he is interceding on our behalf before God the Father. Today, he is doing that. And in the future, his kingdom will come. There is something to look for, whether it's yesterday, today, or forever. He is still the same. We look to Him. I think about how it says in Hebrews at the beginning, chapter 1, verse 11 and 12, talking about the universe itself. They will perish, but you remain. They all will become old like a garment, and like a mantle you will roll them up like a garment. They will also be changed, but you are the same, and your years will not come to the end. Uh, this past week we looked up the moon and saw the Jupiter uh, there next to it, next to this beautiful harvest moon. And we see these things, but as I read in Hebrews 1, these will perish one day. They will be rolled up like an old garment. Jesus will outlast the universe. He is the same. We look to him for strength. How do we do this? Well, verse 9, he says, look, because he is the same, beware of strange and diverse teachings that will come into your life. For it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace. Grace. 
various ways you can understand that God's riches at Christ's expense, God's unmerited favor. It is basically everything that God has given to you, enabling you to live a holy life, living a life that matters for eternity. These things, this strength God gives you, you don't go to food for these things, but you go to God, strengthened by grace. Um, it's, it's the idea that uh, we go to God in prayer. Remember Hebrews 4. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16, that we go to the throne of grace. We have confidence going to the throne of grace to find help in time of needs. Hebrews 4, 16, because of Jesus Christ. It is something we do in prayer, that we seek him, finding strength. So what does this look like? He's saying, don't go to food. And evidently there was some kind of a teaching that there was a certain type of food that you could eat or whether it was food from the altar. That was, this was the, uh, the superfood, you know. That's the thing we hear now. Uh, superfood. You got your blueberries, and you got your acai berries. You got the, the superfood. You got your green tea. You know, or is to to go vegetarian, or is to eat in, uh, a certain type of diet. You know, these things are okay. They're good. Don't get obsessed with it. Okay, we got to be careful because we can get obsessed with these things. But listen, when it comes time to holding precious marriage. When it comes time to say, you know what, I'm not going to live for the things of this world and love money. I'm going to be gracious and giving and unconditional in my kindness. When it comes time to do things like that, you can eat all the blueberries in the world. And that's not going to help you. When it comes to living for a kingdom that's not of this world, there is a different type of strength that we go to, which kryptonite is no weakness. It is to go to the grace of God. It is to have your grace flakes in the morning. All right? How do, you, how do you eat of your grace flakes in the morning? When you wake up in the morning and your heart is filled with guilt over yesterday's failures. And you're thinking, well, what's the point today? What is the point? When you wake up in the morning and you see all these things going against you and you think, nothing's going to change today. Nothing's going to change. When you wake up in the day and you're going to an environment where everybody hates Christ and hates you because you claim to be a a Christian. Blueberries won't help. You go before God and say, God... I thank you that you sent your son to live a life I should have lived. And he died a death that I should have died. And he rose again from the grave to prove that there is an unquenchable life that he now offers to me, not because I go to church, not because I did it right yesterday, but because I need you and I go to you. God, give me the grace that says it doesn't matter yesterday, my failures. There is forgiveness there. It doesn't matter the obstacles of people in front of me because God's hope is greater than that. It does not matter that, uh, that this world is so counter to who I am. God, give me the grace. Change my heart. Give me affection a love for you. Shed abroad the love of God in my heart. You go to the Word of God not to get extra credit. 
You go to the Word of God because honestly, you can't make it unless you get some time with God. You get some grace from God to change your perspective of how yesterday was and how you think today could be. You eat your grace flicks. You go to God. You find strength in Christ and in Christ alone. That's important. Christ alone. Verse 10, we have an altar. He's talking about Christ here. From which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. What's he talking about here? He's talking about the, the tabernacle system, the, the temple worship that evidently was still going on at this time in Jerusalem. He says, these people who have access into this physical building to go even to the holy places, though they can do that, they have no right. To come to the altar that I'm talking about. Why? Why can't they go to the altar he's talking about? He's talking about Christ. Because they think that they can get right with God by doing the law. If you go and you're thinking, if I do the law, and as long as I'm good at doing the law, you're going to get right with God. You know what this text is telling me? If you are justifying yourself and think that you are better because you do some laws, verse 10 You have no right to eat. Those who benefit from the sacrifice of Christ are those who understand that they need grace. God resists the proud, even if it's a religious proud, especially if it's a religious proud. God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Blessed are those who... Who are poor in spirit. For they shall see God. It is for those of us who understand. I'm broken hearted. And and any uh, outward forms of of religion. Is not making me any better. It is for those who say. I need a savior. I need grace. I need forgiveness. That God has an altar for those. And it doesn't matter whether you're. Even if you're a priest. Serving in the temple, the the author is saying it makes no difference whether you're wearing ephod linen and you've got all the the, the priestly garments on and you've got the church clothing on. That was the real church clothing back then. Uh, And you're in God's house, which was really God's house then. It doesn't matter because your heart's far from God because of your pride and you're not coming to Christ. Verse 11. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. Now he's bringing a metaphor here, looking back to the Old Testament system when they had a sin offering. They could, they could usually eat of the offerings, the priest could, unless it was the sin offering. This was consumed wholly by fire uh, and, and the goat. And then they would take a, an animal, a lamb, that all these sacrifices were done outside of the city gates. And so it's referring back to that. So verse 12, so Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. John 19, 20 tells us that Jesus was crucified in Golgotha outside of the city gates. So this tells us all those, one, all those who are committed to the old Jewish system were excluded from the benefits of Christ's atoning death. And then Jesus' death, number two, outside the camp means that he is accessible to anyone in the world who will come to him. Anyone in the world. It's not just a Jewish thing anymore. It's an American thing. It's a Belarusian thing. 
It's a Chinese thing. It's a, a, an Arabic thing. It's a South American thing. It's a Hispanic thing. It's a world thing. Getting your heart reconciled to God. Because all the world over, people are putting up their rules on how to get right with God. All the world over. But God in all the world is saying, your rules will not get you there. It's by coming in humility, understanding your need before God. Verse 13. Now, because we're looking to Jesus for strength, because we've been bought by grace, we have no right to ourselves anymore. Because of that, verse 13, a faith-born love looks to needs, not comfort. A faith-born love looks to needs, not comfort. Notice verse 13, therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. For we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. In other words, Jesus didn't care much as far as the comforts of Jerusalem. He didn't care whether he was accepted in the city. He was, gone, he was given for a purchase price that would be taken outside of the city to say that his kingdom is not of this world. It is of the world to come. Do not live for Jerusalem. Do not live for Ephesus. Do not live for Raleigh. Do not live for Nightdale. Do not live for Orsha. Do not live for the city, the country. Do not live for America. Do not live for Belarus. Do not live for Russia. Do not live for these countries. These countries will go away. Don't live for them. We don't live for the comforts of society anymore. Why? Because we've been bought by grace. So when a need comes upon us, whether it's for a brother or sister in another country, in persecution, or in, uh, in prison, or in star- starving, or whether it's people down the road, and it is oppressed upon our spirit, God says, I've blessed you, I've given to you more than you need. We now can say, God, I have nothing because of what I deserve. I have everything because you've given to me by grace. If you have been so graciously giving to me, then how can I withhold when you've put upon my heart to give? Our grounds for selfishness and for ease and comfort have been annihilated by the grace of Jesus Christ. We don't tell God anymore what we do and don't do because we have been overwhelmingly bought by grace. We no longer can do that. So what do we do? Verse 15, through him then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his names. How do you, how do you give a sacrifice of praise? How do you glorify God? Well, verse 16. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have. For such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Now, get that. Sacrifices are pleasing to God. Hebrews 11, 6. But without faith, it is impossible to please Him. You get this? Our sacrifices that we give, our giving, our helping, uh, and for those who are in need, these things that when we do it out of faith to say, you know what, I can't really hold on to this coat, this suit, this car, this house, this account anyway. 
I can't hold on to it anyway because as Hebrews chapter 12 verse 25 says, it is, an un- it is a shaking kingdom and it will not last. I can't hold on to it anyway and I believe that there is a God who is that rewards those who diligently seek him. I believe that he has a city unseen, not made by, by man, but made by God and that I am destined for that city because I believe these things. What good is this coat in my hands anyway? What good is this money in my hands anyway? What good is this computer in my hands anyway? Because it's going to be burned. It's amazing. If you keep it, you'll lose it. But if you give it, it becomes part of that unshakable kingdom that will be never taken away from you. Do you get this? Faith born love does not look like southern hospitality. Faith born love does not look like just being nice. Faith born love is a generosity that says these things do not belong to me anyway. I'm not identified by them. I am identified by a kingdom yet to come. It's brought to my attention. It says... Well, does that mean that you go to the mechanic has no business because he's not very good and you go to him for taking care of your car? <laughs> no, here, and here's the thought that's been brought to me this week. You're not thinking deep enough yet. Do you need a car? <laughs> I am speaking heresy in America. <laughs> Do I need to be in America? Oh my. Do I need to be in Green Pines, church body? I just want to present to you that as I read Hebrews, the faith of Green Pines Baptist Church isn't measured by how many buildings we have or how many people are sitting in our pews. The faith of Green Pines is measured in obedience. And it could also very well be that the faith of Green Pines is measured in how many people go out. How many people are disciple makers. In Nightdale, in East Raleigh, to the very limit that Jesus himself said, to the ends of the earth. Because the same Jesus that said that 2,000 years ago is the same today. And he'll be the same tomorrow. And that great commission doesn't apply just to the early apostles. It is a command to us today. Verse 17. Just for sense of completion of my outline and yours. Faith born love listens to the present faith leaders. We'll talk about that again. <laughs> let's, let's pray. <clears throat>